Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today because I get to provide a service. I've had quite a number of people reach out to me and ask like, hey man, I, I really don't want to pivot out of lighting because that's my passion. That's my love. It's everything that I've ever known. It's it's what we get into do. It's what we got into this industry to do. We got into light people to tell a story, to make people look better, to make places look better, to make environments more hospitable, and 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 places to be and gather. And in the live event industry and stage lighting as a whole, we're we're kind of dead in the water right now because we just can't gather in any significant numbers. So we all have to find something clever to do. We have to pivot, but none of us want to pivot so far as to completely get out of the industry because we know that as soon as our industry is back, we're going we're gonna to go right back to what we love. So a couple of people have asked me, how can I pivot out where I know that I can pivot right back in when, when everything returns to some semblance of normalcy, whatever that is or whatever that may look like. So I've been reaching out to a few people and uh, I've been very fortunate to get a few takers. One of those industries that is not a terribly far pivot, but it's just far enough to that is safe is architecture. All of the same principles apply and all of our skills are very needed. There's a lot of architectural places and environments that really need our input. We, we're not talking about just boring white light anymore or just functional lighting. We actually need that wow factor in architecture. So I uh, thought I would reach out to somebody today who was very kind to take me up on my offer, who could maybe provide us with some tools about how to pivot to architecture and how to kind of market ourselves towards the architectural firms and the architectural world. I hope everyone will welcome Deborah Gottesman. She is an electrical engineer with an MBA in real property. Her career spans over 30 years in all facets of the lighting industry, including design, engineering, management, education, and manufacturing. She is a principal at Gottesman Associates out of Toronto. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Chris. I, I really appreciate you taking me up on my offer. I, I know that it's, for me, it, it sounds so simple to just ask somebody, hey, how do you pivot? But you have never, you don't really know the theater, the entertainment side. You, I mean, obviously, you know, lighting and you know our, what we hope to achieve, but you've never seen our side of the industry. Is that accurate? Um, I've seen a little bit of it from the architectural engineering side of things. Uh, I was involved in a, a large uh, theater, the Royal Conservatory of Music here in, in Toronto and Ooh. had the opportunity. Yeah, I was the senior project manager uh, for that 
for Crossy Engineering uh, a number of years ago and was fortunate to work. So I worked on all the electrical for that, but had the opportunity to work with a really wonderful theater designer from the UK. And she had a theater lighting designer. So I'm somewhat familiar with theatrical applications from the infrastructure point of view. So we've got to wire things up for you so that when <laughs> you stage people get there, you can put on your show. But like, in, you know, I know a little bit about key light and accent light and whatnot, and we do some aiming, but not to the degree that, that you do. So there are definitely crossovers between our industry. And there are some things that I think are, are different. And I think that'll be an interesting conversation for today. It's so interesting how we, the, it's the same principles. It's the same accent. We all know what we're hoping to achieve, but uh, in my industry, we use a completely different jargon. We use so many different terms and the time frame is completely different. And these are all things I'm hoping that we can kind of have a, a quick discussion about today, which I think is very interesting. So let's get over, let's get into your story first. What brought you into lighting as a whole and architectural lighting more specifically? Huh, well, that's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. So, uh, you know, when I was a little girl, no. Um, so my my actual uh, university training, I'm an electrical engineer by, by training. One of my first jobs was at an architectural engineering firm. And those are the people that are hired by the architects to design the lighting, the power, the security, uh, you know, telecom, what have you, right? You, you build the... The electrical infrastructure and lighting was a, was a, a part of that. That was a great role for me because I learned a lot about the construction project life cycle, not only from the design side of things, you know, the first stage, the second stage of design, etc., and producing your drawings, but also learning about construction, you know, permanent construction. And I think that's one area where our our sort of practices may differ that yours are temporary, ours are, are permanent, right? So anyhow, we can get into that after. So I, you know, learned the basics about architectural engineering. Then I went to an energy service company, which did uh, like lighting retrofit. So I really just focused on lighting and it really deepened my understanding of lighting. And then you probably know of Osram Sylvania, because I know they provide mm -hmm. They provide, you know, specialty lighting for your industry. And I was a technical services manager there. So I got to do things like training and get really uh, familiar with about 2,300 products, I think, in the catalog. So again, really deep, deep diving there. Um, but I also learned about the sales and marketing and distribution of product in our industry. And it also exposed me to our industry across the country because Sylvania has a national presence, of course. And so I was doing presentations across the country. I got to know people. They got to know me. And so that was very good uh, career-wise. Then I went to another uh, engineering firm where I, I told you I managed the, uh, was the, the senior project manager for that uh, wonderful theater project. Then I had my second baby. <laughs> Congratulations. And well, this was a number of years ago. Uh, you mm -hmm. can't see me, but yes, I'm 29. Um, and unfortunately, there was a downturn in the market at the time. And the firm I was working for went from like, I don't know, 100 people to 30 people. And there wasn't a job for me to go back to. And I found that when I was going out to 
find a job. See, I, sorry, I back up a little bit. I was also very active in the lighting industry. Like the, I don't know if you've heard of the Illuminating Engineering Society. Um, they write standards and, you know, promote lighting. So for architectural uh, lighting and they write practices and whatnot. And they have a local chapter here in, in Toronto that's very active. And so I was involved in that. So I kind of got known to be a lighting person between, you know, Sylvania and the IES. And so when I found myself unemployed and looking for work with a, you know, a one-year-old on my hip and a five-year-old, I found that the engineering firms would look at me and say, but aren't you a lighting person? And the lighting firms would say to me, but aren't you an engineer? (laughs) And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. So I had an opportunity through a not-for-profit that I was working with that had some it was just for, in a way it's terrible. It was, they had flood damage and I was going to say it was fortuitous that they had some flood damage, Um, (laughs) but well, but it destroyed and, you know, destroyed their, their main sanctuary. And, and uh, anyway, long, long story short, I got involved in the redesign of the lighting for them. And I realized like, this is what I love to do. And the fear was really going out and doing that on my own, but ultimately I did. And that was, uh, many years ago, it was uh, almost 16, 16 years ago, and I haven't looked back. So that was like, I mean, it's a real curvy road, uh, how how I got here. But you said something about, you know, the passion we have for lighting, and that is true in the architectural side. I think that research is someday going to find that there is some part of our brain that gets turned on by lighting. And once you get bitten, you just can't get out. <laughs> Mm, you're so true. It's so true. There's something there's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. We're not really in this for the money. We, it, you know, none of us are going to become millionaires doing lighting, but there's, we, we can't stop it. We're kind of addicted to it. it. It's so true. You know, it's, I don't know, maybe it's that it, you know, it tickles both sides of your brain. It's an art and a science. And I think that holds true both for the, the stage lighting people, as well as for architectural lighting. You know, we have to understand the technology and what it can do for us but we also have to be creative. Mm-hmm. So we have to very exciting. So let's kind of unpack some of those things. One of the ones that I, for, I didn't ever put too much emphasis on, but the amount of gear and inventory that you have to be aware of is infinitely larger than what we have in the lighting industry. It, we even complain when there's, you know, a hundred fixtures or a hundred options available to us. Oh, there's so imagine in the architectural industry, you have thousands, thousands, easily thousands. And, you know, thankfully not all of it is CSA listed. So we can't use it all from all over the world. (laughs) There's even more out there, but yes, it's, it's infinite. And uh, one, one important part of what we do as, as designers, I think is to keep up with, product that's out there and spend the time with all the agents and the manufacturers when they want to do a lunch and learn and teach you about what's what's new out there you know and then there's the nuance behind each each product i don't know if you find the same that it all looks good on paper and then you start to put it together in a project and you start reading the fine print and you realize oh that's not the dimming protocol i thought it was oh okay (laughs) you know or it doesn't come in blue i wanted it in blue Yeah, we have uh, some amount of that where I I thought maybe this fixture would mix a good red, but it's kind of an orangey thing. So I'll just switch it out to another fixture. 
but I can only imagine for you, you have a constant stream of new manufacturers. Even in our industry, we have maybe a dozen big name manufacturers, but you have a hundred manufacturers to keep up with a thousand products. Right. Well, luckily um, a lot of them are consolidated for us with our agencies. Mm. Um, I think there's fewer and fewer, you know, even one of the big three, one of the big, you know, the old big three of the, the architectural lamp manufacturers. I mean, they used to, you know, sell direct with their own sales force. And even now they've gone to, to agency, which means, you know, you get a, I don't know if it's you use the same terminology in your business, but an agent is someone that will rep several different product lines so that at least we have, you know, I may have, I don't know, a dozen or, or more, you know, agents that we work with, uh, you know, regularly, but we, they probably represent hundreds of different uh, lines, but I don't have to know every single one of them. I just need to know that the products exist out there and then we go out to our agents and say we're looking for a very specific x okay i I might be jumping the shark here but i think this is a very interesting tangent to go down so let me fill you in on how it works in my industry and then i want i'm really interested to see how it works in yours so in my industry there we have a, a manufacturer they make the moving lights or the the static lights they get sold either through a distributor or directly to a rental house Right. Then the rental house rents them to a designer who would spec them. And it's up to either the rental house or the manufacturers to convince the designer to put that product on their show. And so there's, there's dinners going back and forth and there's a lot of competition there to try and get your name on their spec sheet. Cause if they spec it, the rental houses will buy it. If the rental houses have it, more people will and it kind of snowballs from there. For you, it sounds like it's a little bit more complicated. We don't get as many dinners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, I would say there's some similarities there. The difference is the rental house. Like there's no rental house. There's an electrical distributor that ultimately will sell the product. Like these agents, they want us to write the specs with their name on it, with their products on it. Right. Then the package, like the specs that we would write, go over it becomes part of what we call a tender package that's the bid package okay and so you know we're part of a much bigger team right there's architects there's mechanical engineers structural there's all kinds of different consultants right so there's a big package that goes out for bid um and then ultimately the contractors bid on it and they can choose where they get it supplied from so you know, so they choose where they buy it from. So it's not okay. so much the rental house. So that's where it's a little different, but it's still, we are, you know, you are specifiers, we are specifiers and, and, you know, they want to uh, show us how good their products are so that we keep, you know, keep the pull through the market. Right. So okay. that is the same, but I, I have a joke and the joke oh, is um, what's the definition of an architectural lighting designer? I don't know. It's someone with a thousand catalogs that you can see behind me on my desk, but we still need a special. <laughs> yes, that uh, sounds accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so there might be thousands of products, but there's always stuff that we're asking for just to suit. You know, every project is 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 different. So, um, because if you do things, I, 
that has to be exactly the same in our industry. It doesn't matter how many times everybody's done the same old thing. If you want to set yourself apart, you have to do something that stands out. You have to break the rules basically. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, we do some custom fixture design as well. Like a lot of people think an architectural lighting designer, they hire us and either a, that we sell fixtures, which is no, we are independent consultants. So I can design right. you know, to different budgets. That's it's irrelevant to me. What I'm looking for is the performance. When do you have the brave new idea to push forward and say, no, we need a centerpiece in this hallway or this lobby and somebody comes to you like, no, I just need it lit. You're like, no, you need a centerpiece. You need something that is a wow factor in the, in a lobby. Well, it's very funny that you ask the question in that way, because what we're trying to do is create a, okay, the technical term for us, according to the IES, is the is a quality visual environment. So we want the space to be well lit. Mm -hmm. We don't care so much if it's a pretty fixture. In fact, we prefer more integrated lighting, coves, grazing a wall, washing a wall, up lighting, um, so that there is enough light that's appropriate for the space, that it suits the the needs of the occupants. And when it comes to the more decorative, that's usually, we're like the bridge between the architect and the engineers. The engineers need to electrify everything. They need to make sure that there's light for codes and things like that. And the architect has the design vision, right? So we're okay. trying to be the bridge between the two of that to say, okay, we have a fabulous ceiling structure here. Do we want to reveal that with light? Um, when you come into the art gallery, do you notice the art? Does it pop? Is it properly lit? When you're in a classroom, is there enough light for you to fill in the piece of paper that's on your desk? Okay, there's three, there's three pillars to this. So there's the architectural elements that I just described Okay. Um, that you want you want to get right. You know, do you want to show off the columns? Do you want to you know highlight the facade? Okay, that's the architectural elements. Then there, of course, are the energy and the codes and the maintenance and the operations considerations for the future. That's another pillar. And then the the third pillar, but it's really the most important in a way from the human point of view, is is all about the well, it's human needs. And it mm -hmm. centers around visibility. What we're trying to do is create an environment that is comfortable and appropriate and that makes the architecture and the space shown in its best light, if you will. Mm, good one. Good okay. use of words. So, you know, so for example, when we approach a project, um, probably similar to you guys, do you, what's your first stage of a, of a project for you? You you know, you're going to light this rock show. What's the first thing you do? The very first step would be the creative artistic spark. They would be, they would decide that they're, they're going to do a tour. By the time it makes it to me, they would know a rough budget and some venues. And I would have to know how many lights will fit into that many trucks and what we're hoping to achieve. Kind of what we do too, it's almost like needs analysis is a little bit of limiting, but 
it's all about understanding what's the intent, what's the designed intent, what's the use of the space. So it's the concept design. And that's where mm -hmm. we try to capture, you know, what can we do for this project from a, from a lighting perspective? And in a way, that's what you're doing too. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got a budget, you've got to work to, you've got physical constraints that you've got to work with, be it the size of the bus or the stage you're trying to light. Mm -hmm. And then we come up with the ideas. How can we make this be what you want it to be? And once you get the concept approved, then we move into the construction document. So do you create, you must create, I, you, you do, because I, I think I've seen them. There are drawings that you create, what, what gets installed where. In mm -hmm. your case, it's temporary. In our case, it's permanent. But it's the same idea, creating a set of drawings, creating the specifications. You know, I, what we say in our practice is, you know, who, who are the drawings for? Well, we got to hand over maybe a year's worth of work, a gazillion meetings, uh, lots of input from all the stakeholders. And we've got to take that idea that we've, we've built it in our heads and on paper, and it's terrific. But we have to communicate that now to a construction team. And usually the construction team, keep in mind that they have been hired based on often its lowest price. The bid package has gone mm -hmm. out. And so those construction documents are critical. We have to make sure that we have described our complete intent. You know, it's not just a wall sconce. How high is the wall sconce? Oh, you know, there's a little cove in there. Well, you better point that out because very easy for them to miss it. And you know what happens with architectural lighting is if it gets too far and you haven't noticed that something's been missed, a lot of clients, it's really expensive. And sometimes even if they're not gonna pay for it, even if it's a serious contractor mistake, it's extremely disruptive to make the oh, change man. later, right? It's not yeah. about just swapping out. Sometimes it can be, oh, we've got the wrong color trim. Okay, we can get a new trim for that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we've, I've had it happen. We rejected shop drawings. Do you do shop drawings? They send them to you just before they manufacture mm -hmm. what you're looking for, right? So it's, it, I call it broken telephone. I tell you what we want. You tell me back what you think I want. And I tell you back right. whether it's right. So, yes. uh, you know, we've rejected shop drawings. It wasn't the right, it wasn't as specified. And I went to site like a month and a half later and I, I saw the boxes and it was what wasn't specified. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Well, it happened because you ignored my shop drawings and you ordered the product. How do you think it happened? <laughs> um, you know, and at that point, there were so many installed that the client like just didn't want the hassle. I mean, there's, there's the practical realities of life. You know, I, I try to tell my kids being right. Isn't everything. That's it's true. not always enough. Right. So we have to try and get it right. You know, as much as possible, you know, in advance. So something else that we do as part of that, that construction process, um, get, sorry, getting the construction documents together is lighting calculations. Do you do lighting calculations? You have simulations that you can do? We software? do, we do. So, you know, that way it's predictive. It's really important for us that it's somewhat predictive. Now, lighting, right? The science is not perfect. You know, we used to say with fluorescent bulbs, it's it's atoms and it's, and it's phosphors and it's, you know, creating potential between two cathodes like, 
it's it's a cocktail of stuff, right? You know, mm-hmm. one bulb is not going to be exactly the same as as the next bulb. So, I mean, lighting, you know, it's packets, quantum of energy traveling in waves. Um, mm-hmm. You don't see it until it reflects off of something. I mean, these are all principles that we use. So anyway, so, you know, lighting isn't perfect, but we try to be as predictive as as we can be to to make sure that we're getting it right. So in my industry, we need to be predictive about three weeks out. I can make changes and I can email the shop guys and we can make changes fairly quickly. And then once things are being installed, I can be there to say, oh no, I didn't mean that. I meant this. I wasn't very, very clear. I meant this and I can make changes almost on the fly. It doesn't sound like you have that same luxury. It sounds like you need to have be predictive one or two years out. You know, again, it depends on the size of the project. Not every project takes years. Some project is just months. You know, um, if I we're just designing a kitchen for someone and that's all we're doing, it could take a week, you know, so. Right. But, you know, the more substantial projects do take some time. And it's a really, those calculations are really an important part of creating those drawings. So we might know that we want to uplight the ceiling and wash the walls and highlight the art, but will we have enough light for circulation or do we also need to add, you know, some extra lighting for that? Well, we won't know that until we run it. Right. You know, part of, part of that exercise um, is is to determine how, how many fixtures, uh, you know, we're going to need understanding that, so it is. It is important to be uh, to be predictive, and right. you know, you're not wasting wasting money. So I think this is semi related to what we're just discussing here. But in my industry, we have a lot of fudge room. You know, I can change a motor on in a, on a moment's notice. I can, if something's not quite right one day, I can take a note and fix it for the next show. Uh, if something is quite not quite the wrong color, I can just reach over and like, hey, make sure I change that tomorrow. It doesn't sound you have doesn't sound like you have that luxury either. It sounds like if if something's not right, even if it's going to be an expensive fix, you have to take the time to fix it because it's going to be a permanent installation. Well, the examples you gave me are actually controls, lighting controls. Okay. Right. You want to mm-hmm. dim it. You want to change the color. If we have that, you know, we often use it's mostly white light that we design with, but even white light is dynamic white now, you know? It's yeah. So, um, but in terms of controls, that's very easy, but you're correct. Like if you need, uh, you've got a spot on something and you realize you wanted it to be more of a narrow flood. Um, you can swap out a fixture. You can rent a different fixture. For us, if we get that wrong and we've got the wrong distribution, you get the wrong final final product, right? Sometimes it's easier to change that out than others. Sometimes it's just a component that is easily exchangeable. You know, uh, you know, it's not usually that we've made a mistake. Like usually, that you know, we with enough experience, we kind of know what's going to work and what makes sense. They always said that. That's what makes engineers good at, at a lot of different jobs is that we're taught that it's not just getting the answer that's important, it's understanding what the answer means. So calculations are all very well and good, but you know, you, at some point you have enough experience to know, 
that doesn't make sense. And we've actually found errors in photometry. We've questioned manufacturers and we've been, we've been right in that there was an error that it didn't make any sense, the results we were getting. Anyhow, again, a whole other, whole other tangent I'm <laughs> talking about. Um, uh, we get that in our in our industry too. Will somebody will measure lumens or zoom in a in a dark room against a white wall, and it'll look so impressive. And then you get it out in the real world. You're like, you guys measured that in a dark room and against a white wall from ten feet away, didn't you? And they're like, yeah. And like, right. Well, it does. It doesn't read right. in the real world. That that's right. You know, more often what happens with us with changes is that, especially with renovations. Um, there's only so much that can be predicted when you're doing a major renovation of say, you know, we've been involved in renovations of, you know, hundreds of thousands of feet. I mean, there's no way to know everything that's behind that ceiling. So, you know, uh, just the project we're, we're just finishing now that we had these lovely grazers, a linear grazer, um, it's, it's recessed and it's right at the edge at the perimeter and it's mm -hmm. actually a fixture that holds up the T-bar ceiling. So it mounts to the wall, actually, and then it holds the ceiling. So it's really elegant. And it wasn't until very late in the game they realized that some, uh, some mechanical services that were existing were not going to be removed as they originally thought, and none of it fit. So, you know, it, it's more things like that. We have to be quick uh, sometimes. There have been some great designs that have come out of uh oh, that won't fit. What do we do now? Okay, <laughs> what will fit? Right? I mean, it's, it's sort of the same as you when you say said that you've, you know, you've got limitations on your trucks, you've got limitations on your state mm -hmm. capacity and all that. So what can you do? And I'm sure you do great work. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I think we've established there's a lot of similarities and uh, some of the some of the differences are matters of of kind and scope, you know, if somebody wanted to transition, it doesn't sound like we would have to completely restart profession. It sounds like somebody could take their resume an existing resume and just kind of refurbish it to make it presentable to an architectural firm. Well, I would, I would say anyone uh, in, in the stage, uh, field, stage lighting field, you know, I think there are some transferable skills for sure. I would say some of the skill sets that are very beneficial to an architectural lighting designer, okay, to have are, first of all, understanding light vision and color and how we see, you know, the importance of color accuracy in certain cases and color temperature and how things impact our mood and perception. My guess is that the stage lighting designers are pretty good at that. Yeah. And would have to be. I think you also need to understand technology from the science side of things, both uh, fixtures and how they work and what they do and what photometry okay. means. And lighting controls, because things are quite integrated now. We have to be thinking about controls. And I think those are skills that probably your, your folks have. Our, our brothers in stage and studio, <laughs> make it sound like <laughs> your people and my people. Um, 
Also using technology, I would say things like uh, knowing CAD can be an asset for some firms Uh, and and also lighting calculation software. So if you're familiar with that, you know, understanding cant and tilt and rotation and, you know, I don't know if you use light loss factors, but, you know, those are little points that can be taught. It's Mm -hmm. understanding, you know, once you plug all that into a lighting design software, does the answer make sense when you're done with it? And is it giving you what you want? And what could you tweak to get what you want? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd also say reading and creating drawings and specifications. You know, those, those are skills that take time to learn. And if you certainly have those, I would say those are marketable, marketable skills. And just to let your, you know, the stage and studio or the stage lighting people know that, you know, my career path was engineering and engineering firms and, and, you know, some sales, but there are some really wonderful uh, architectural lighting designers that have come through theater lighting design, you know, bachelor of fine arts, they've come through interior design, they've come through architecture. So, you know, we come from all walks of life and the more interesting, the better. Um, You know, one of my associates, I mean, she's got a terrific resume, but if I'd say anything uh, about Sharon is, you know, she's an artist. It makes her a terrific lighting designer. Oh, that's really refreshing to hear. Yeah. Yeah, there's room. And to me, I think the more diverse a team is, the more interesting results you get, Um, you know, working with my other associate, Heather, recently, we were talking about how we would light this space. And I, we were totally, totally different the way we wanted to do it, her project. And it's beautiful, you know? So um, it's really, it's a lot of fun. It's, It's quite exciting. And I would say that for anybody wanting to transition, Make sure you're selling yourself on what you bring to the table that's relevant. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know when we when we first talked, you were mentioning some of the bands you've worked with, and that's all great. That's not going to help me design this kitchen, right? <laughs> you know, I'd love to meet Elton John if you could fix me up, but <laughs> not going to help my clients. Um, so you're saying that maybe I should take the the band names off and I should replace them with the fact that I know what a a light loss ratio is, or I I can uh, I know the different codes between Canada and America. That might be more beneficial to you. Uh, that would probably be more beneficial to you. I don't think it would hurt. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with you know, especially some blue chip projects. You know, I think that also shows. You know, but what is it telling me that you were the lighting director for one Steve of your big? Well, that was a pretty big concert would be my guess. So it was a pretty big project. Right. The skill there that would speak to me is that you can manage a big project. And the other thing I think that you mentioned is that your timeframes are much tighter. You're used to working under pressure. Yes. And I can tell you that this job can be as architectural lighting designers, uh, there can be a lot of pressure, especially around tender dates, you know, in a perfect world, the architect finishes their work and then we get to design the lighting and put everything where we want. And we get three weeks at least once they're finished to do our work, but it never happens that way. Project timelines are just too tight. Everybody's proceeding simultaneously. We never get all the answers we need and not you know, for lack of, of trying on everybody's part, it's just the way it is now. So mm. you know, working under pressure, it's uh, 
I think that's a real a real asset. So I would think about those those things and think about you know what do we need in the architecture world and and how you add value to that. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the other facets of our industry is 3D visualization. Uh, we're building a lot of uh, virtual environments in the digital realm now. Is that being utilized as much in the architectural world? How do you mean you're building 3D? Like you're building it like a 3D model on your computer, you mean? Correct. And then we can uh, we can basically do an entire concert virtually without using a, a single human person at this at the moment. We're doing a lot of pre-visualization where basically you could take an entire concert and present it to your client without having to hang a single light. You could actually show them exactly what your ideas are. I can only imagine that that's a skill that transfers over. Are you guys using that as much? I think it would be very exciting to have that capability. And I know that some firms I think do. Okay. But certainly again, it speaks to the ability to, you know, manipulate technology, use modeling programs. Okay. You know, Cause to learn a different program, once you know one, I mean, it's like yeah. now, right. You know, you get a new, uh, a, a new computer and we know that, well, I've never used, you know, the team's, meeting software but i know there's <laughs> got to be a way to mute myself on here right so you know I, anyway i see it that way i see these as as transferable skills now you know how receptive the, the rest of the market is i don't know i think it's going to depend on how busy some firms are i think you want to you know do your research you know see who might be might be looking what kind of projects that they typically work on and again list those skills that you can bring. Uh, I don't have a position right now, but boy, it would be very exciting to bring in, you know, theatrical uh, lighting designer, I think. Oh, I feel like there's a, a wonderful marriage to be made there. There's uh, there's so much that we do that you don't do. And there's so much that you do that we don't do that I would imagine that the, the marriage of the two it's going to become more and more prominent as we progress. There's going to be a lot of places that just need something that sets them apart from all the other storefronts and lobbies. And you know, there's a, a lot of video elements that are happening these days that really draw people's eyes to a, a centerpiece. And I can only imagine that that's going to come through content creation. It's going to come through, uh, really lighting and even using moving lights in the the architectural world. I, I think that I think the the going term is called architainment now. Yes, and we're seeing more of that in architectural mm -hmm. projects. And again, it's not uh, people like us that are doing that. You know, directly, there are light artists and there are um, stage specialists that mm -hmm. you know that would get involved in that, especially in the programming. So there is a market there as well within the architectural world for specifically what you do. Yeah. I look forward to working together more often. I think that's going to be, yeah. you know, especially once people get back out into the real world, there's going to be a lot of competition to get people into the back into their stores and back into their environments. Right. Right. Well, I would love to be able to design a rock show or even a song. <laughs> Let's not get too excited here, Deborah. Let's start with the song. 
So when I start encouraging people to transition and I send them to you, what would you tell them that you enjoy most about the architectural lighting side of our industry? I love being passionate about what I do. I think it's just, I'm so grateful uh, that I am one of those people. It's not everybody has a career that they really love, uh, you know, most days. And so I love that it's technical. I love that it's uh, creative. And, you know, I love adding value. I think that's, you know, when we talk about the bigger picture questions in life, what's important in life, that we all need to be feel valued. And I think there are some, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges that I face, especially as a principal, you know, you know, always going after the projects, always going after new work, is having people understand that while it may seem like, you know, it's another cost to add another consultant, like what do you need a lighting consultant on a project for? We can have the engineers design it. Um, but on, on so many projects, I, I want to say almost all our projects, there are decisions we make and things that we do that end up saving the client so much money. The Ontario Association of Architects, their headquarters building, that's a, a great example. We did a, a daylight modeling study. So what you do when you do, that's something I, we didn't even mention about something that architectural lighting designers do, but we look at the free light of the sun lots of benefits to lighting with daylight, but you have to worry about glare and mitigate heat, things like that. Anyway, so we did this study. And as a result of the study, we were able to design with fewer fixtures because we knew about how much light we had from the sun and how to harness it, that we saved the client about fivefold our fee for that daylight study. Wow. Um, so similarly, um, we just did this effectively, it's a multi-purpose space and they brought us on board because there was a preliminary lighting design. And you know, I, I, probably the same for you. If I were to design something for a stage and studio, I would you know, do with arrows and stuff and you'd probably get what I was trying to do, but you'd probably think, oh, there's a much better way to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's uh, aspirational. So, you know, this, there was a good, it was a good layout, but way too many fixtures. So once again, they decided to hire a lighting consultant and we saved them probably eight times our fee in light fixtures. So, you know, that's, uh, that's one way that we, we try to sell and that I think we add a lot of value. And what you get is a quality visual environment, one that is beautiful and comfortable and not glary and there shouldn't be flicker and the controls should work and everybody should be happy. That is the hidden value of a very good consultant. I, I, I hate when I have to point out to people that, and they'll, they'll come to me like, hey, we can't afford Deborah. And my, my response will always be, you can't afford not to have Deborah. She's going to be the one who saves you that much on top of everything that you think you're going to be saving, you know, Amen. all too often. <laughs> Amen. People think that they can do things without a professional and they, they're wrong. They're just wrong. The, the, the expert advice is going to save them money in the long time. One every of my, time. One of my first, uh, mentors used to say it's it's so interesting how people somehow can afford to do it right the second time <laughs> exactly yeah you know you talk about sustainable lighting like to me sustainable lighting has to be 
it has to be energy efficient, but that's just one piece of it. You know, mm-hmm. have you have you ever had a space where the occupancy sensors don't, you know, they they trip too often or they leave people in the dark? So what what we see, we've seen that many times. And so what people will do is they'll mask off the sensors or they'll disconnect it completely. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if it's not bright enough, people will bring a desk lamp and add load, right? So sustainability, I think you have to take a much more holistic approach. And that's what I love also about what we do. It's, it's you know, the devil's in the details, but you also have to have that big picture approach that you want to do something that's, that shows the space in the best light and that's appropriate for many years to come. Because the truth is that once these things are installed, good luck, maybe in 25 years, if you're lucky, someone will come through and retrofit it. But what if it could last for longer than that? Isn't that a more sustainable approach, right? So that idea of mm-hmm. permanence, the idea of permanence is, is something, it's, it's a little bit of a switch for the stage lighting people, but I don't think it's unachievable. <laughs> I, I think if nothing else, if anybody takes anything away from this one, it is that the passion is what carries over. And I think that's what's going to pe- keep people motivated to jump o- over and just stay alive and f- floating in the lighting industries. Yeah. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. I hope we're back to it soon. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank you so much for your time, Deborah. This has been really great. I think this has been very enlightening and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that this is uh, some questions that I can only imagine you haven't had to think about for a while, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with my audience. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. 